1: This is Ask Lisa, a podcast to help people understand the psychology of parenting. Psychologist Dr. Lisa Demore, author of two New York Times best selling parenting books, takes your questions. And I'm co host Rena Ninen, a journalist and mom of two. Some of what we talk about comes from raising children ourselves. Most of the time, I'll be getting answers to your parenting questions. So send your questions to AskLisa at drlisademore.com. Episode 105, my kid complains constantly. How do I get him to stop? It's the nagging they tell me. They say I nag all the time, but if I don't nag, they're not going to do it. Yes, but as I've said before, Rena,
0: I don't call it nagging in my house. I call it offering a helpful reminder, which of (laughs) course everybody rolls their eyes and doesn't think I'm funny like I think I'm funny,
1: but I think I'm funny. They say my tone is off. They say that I should ask nicer. You know, I'm just over it. And so I want to read you another parent who's also over it. Dear Dr. Lisa, my fifth grade son seems to come home from school in a terrible mood every day. When I ask him how the day went, he launches into a long list of complaints about his teachers, classmates, the lunchroom, his homework, everything. And when I try to offer suggestions, he rejects my advice. When I encourage him to have more of a positive attitude, he just gets more grumpy. I hate that he seems to be so unhappy about his days. And honestly, I hate that his complaining ruins my mood too. What can I try to do to make things better? Thank you for your help. Oh my gosh. Where does one parent start when you want to limit the complaining, Lisa? It's driving me mad too. Okay, this I will tell you. We've gotten a lot of questions that
0: I think are pretty universal. This may be the most universal question we have ever gotten. And I right. will tell you, Rena, until I had kids, I had no idea how much kids, honestly, Rena, I'm going to use the word bitch about school. They, they just, like, you, <laughs> you see them at the end of the day. Yeah, I haven't seen them all day. And you're like, hi, how are you? And they're like, oh, let me just tell you now, right? And they just start to grouse. And it is honestly true confessions. And again, don't tell anyone I said this. It's one of my least favorite parts of the day. Like I want to be so excited and be together and enjoy them. But I am usually so tired and so done. It takes a lot to get through this truly daily routine. I think it is daily routine in a lot of families.
1: So, I mean, how do you even begin to limit complaining in your household? What really works is what I want to know. Okay, I'm going to reject the premise. I'm not actually sure we can limit it. But we can
0: respond in ways that make it work better for everybody. Okay. So, Rena, I have a theory of complaining. <laughs> theory is too fancy a word. But here's my view on complaining. Complaining works if we manage it well at home. And by works, what I mean is complaining supports exactly what we want, which is that our kids are great when they're outside of the house, that they hold it together really well, And I think a lot of times, and I've heard even kids say this, part of how kids manage themselves so gracefully and in such a lovely way through the school day is they are like keeping a catalog, oh, just wait till I talk about this one at (laughs) home, right? And that's part of how they can bear it. Okay. So are you ready for my grand theory of complaining?
1: Boy, am I. I've got my (laughs) cup of tea here. Okay. Hit me.
0: Here's how I think about complaining. I think about complaining as the result of kids collecting what I would call emotional garbage all day long. Okay, so here I am, let's say I'm in the, this kid's fifth grade, let's say I'm in the fifth grade. So here I'm in the fifth grade and I go to school and I'm in my, you know, math class and the teachers are like, all right, today we're going to rearrange seeds." And somehow I think that maybe magically I'll get sat next to my very best friend in class and instead the teacher puts me next to the kid I least want to sit with, right? Stuff like this happens all the time in school. Okay, this fifth grader, and I'm assuming the fifth grader in this letter, handles it like a pro, right? They are like, hi, have a seat. They hold it together. They don't throw themselves on the floor. They don't, you know, smack the kid they don't want to sit next to. But what I like to think is it's like they've taken a piece of emotional garbage and they've jammed it in their pocket and then they go on to the next class. Okay. So then they get to the next class and they're like, it's maybe it's Friday afternoon. And um, the kid's like, I don't think I have that much homework for the weekend. I think I'm totally off the hook. And the teacher's like, oh, everybody, I just remembered that over the weekend, I want to make sure you've all finished that book. And your kid's like... Great, you know, and they get out their planner and they write it down and they don't throw themselves on the floor and they don't, you know, start a revolt in the classroom and they take that piece of emotional garbage and they jam it in their pocket. Okay, all day long, school is like this, right? You're sitting next to kids you don't want to be with, teachers are doing stuff you don't like. You know, there's all sorts of injuries and frustrations in the school day, and kids are amazing through it. And then I think what happens, and this is how we want to sort of frame up this moment, is they get home and we're like, how was school? And they just start throwing all the garbage at us that they have been saving
1: all day, dying Mm. to get out of their pockets. Mm. So it sounds like it's like if this is like an energy shield, that they're absorbing all this crazy energy that's being flung through them. And they're, okay, okay, I've got to make it through. I've got to make it through. And then they come home and it's like, right? (laughs) I think that's right. So
0: here's my advice, Rena. When you ask your kid, how was school? you want to picture yourself opening an emotional garbage bag, right? You are there just to collect the energy debris of the day, all the stuff your kids saved up so that they did not throw themselves on the floor in class, or they did not smack <laughs> that kid they don't want to sit next Great year. Great point. You yep. are there just to let them dispose
1: of it, dispose of it. Mm. Wow. I've never looked at it that way, that you're letting them unload on you It goes into the garbage so they're not doing something else crazier that they'd really rather do to deal with it at school.
0: Absolutely. Okay. So what this looks like is like, let them vent. Just let them vent. And you know that we've talked about this before. Like if you have some brilliant piece of advice, you can say, do you want my help or do you just need Mm. to vent? Most of the time they're like, keep the bag open. Don't say anything. Let me just (laughs) dump the garbage in the bag. They are there to vent. And if you move yourself out of that, like, I'm here to problem solve. I'm here to get them to cut it out. If you move yourself out of that role, and I do this, Reena, this is how I think about 5, o'clock in my household. I'm like, how was school? I open the garbage bag. I let my kid just tell me all of the frustrations and injuries of the day, you know, all the crimes committed around her that she said nothing about, like, whatever, she just mm-hmm. held it together. And I mostly just nod and say, oh, man, that stinks. Or I can see why you feel really frustrated about that. And what usually happens is having disposed of all the garbage, she feels much better and carries on with the rest of her evening because she is now garbage
1: free, ready for another day of stuffing garbage in her pockets. So what you're saying is that emotional dump onto the parents actually really helps the kid. It does help the kid. It
0: can leave the parent feeling really like the parent in this letter says, like it kind of ruins my mood. It's not that fun.
1: It's like it feels to me like an energy transfer that you don't want, you know. Like you stay away from bad energy transfer. Yeah, they're the energy vampires. They suck all the good energy out of you. Is what I feel like it. But they're your own child, so you can't avoid that. You can't avoid them. (laughs) No, it's true. They they know where we live, right? (laughs) They Um, do know where we live.
0: So I think I will tell you in full disclosure. Having this visual for myself of just opening the garbage can and letting them dump makes it all a lot more bearable because I'm not fighting it. I'm not like, but but wait, why did that happen? Or I'm sure the kid you're sitting next to is fine, in which case they're, they're like, oh my gosh, he is so not fine, right? I mean, like that's usually how this goes. So it's more bearable if I'm not trying to fight it, try, not trying to get it to stop, not trying to give advice, which is n- almost never welcome in these moments. But I'm not <laughs> saying it's fine. And and I think that part of what I love about our podcast is we can use it as a place to build community and empathize around some of the harder parts of parenting. And for me, this is one of the harder parts of parenting, right? Like, I am doing this. I really believe it works. I watch my kid feel better. I get it that this is how my kid can hopefully be good all day long, is that knowing that they can come home and dump this garbage. Even still, I'm like, here we go. Here we go. And it's not mm-hmm. my favorite part of the night, but what it helps me and it'll help me a lot more after this episode is like, now I know I'm part of a broad community of parents who are like, yeah. here we go. Yeah. This is not fun, but it works for the kid in a way that is actually worth preserving.
1: Yeah. Um you know, one thing that's really helped for me at my home is you, you've you said at bedtime, sometimes you crawl into bed a little earlier and then the kid comes over and talks to you. By the way, that's been amazing for me in my household because I hear a lot of things happen. But when they come home from school or they're dealing with an issue and they're dumping whatever time of day, and let's say they do want your advice and you do give them advice, but they reject it. How do you deal with that? Right. Because so the complaining continues. The complaining continues. So maybe you have like great advice and maybe you're
0: even um, – maybe they've even said they want your advice, right? So I would say the first thing you do before even trying to give advice is to say, do you want my advice or do you need to just need to vent, right, like we've said? And if they say, sure, show me what you got, you might say, well, what if you um, – I- Ask the teacher if maybe in the next round of when the seats are reshuffled, you could be next to your good friend, right? This is a totally reasonable thing to ask. And your kid's like, oh, no, that won't work. That won't work. Da, 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 da. And you're like, "Um, okay. And then you have another piece of brilliant advice like, well, what if you, and the kid's like, no, 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 that won't work either, right? And this is something that happens in parenting where kids will say they want our help. And then we are just like so useful and smart and wise. And they're like, that's a dumb idea. That's a dumb idea. That's another dumb idea. And they reject, reject, reject. Usually what's happening in that dynamic is that the kid feels helpless about what's going on and they're making you feel as helpless as they feel. Mm. And so it's a place where you want to actually start to move towards thinking, my kid's feeling helpless and I probably want Mm. to go
1: there. Interesting. Okay, that's great advice. Lisa, I want to pause for a second, take a short break. And then I want to talk a little bit about When a parent should actually worry about the kid complaining all the time and what you can do to encourage sort of more positive outcomes and a more positive sense of moving forward. We'll be right back. Do you know how much cash back you're leaving on the table for settling for the wrong credit card? Imagine earning up to 5% cash back on your groceries for the next 30 years. Just think of all that cash back you can get on those groceries. NerdWallet helps everyone make smarter financial decisions today, so the future you will thank you for it. With NerdWallet, you won't regret missing out on rewards. NerdWallet lets you compare smart cash back credit cards side by side to make the most of your everyday spending. So what could future you do with more cash back? A getaway with the kids? A spa day for yourself? Whatever it is, make it happen with a smarter cash back credit card. And don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Paying for college shouldn't be the hardest part of higher education. Hi, it's Rena Ninen, co-host of the Ask Lisa podcast. I recently spoke with U.S. Education Secretary Miguel Cardona about FAFSA, the Free Application for Student Aid. Did you know you can apply for financial aid today and you'll get a response within one to three days? Check out our show notes to the link for the full interview on our Ask Lisa podcast YouTube channel don't forget to subscribe for the latest videos from Lisa and me. That's the Ask Lisa Podcast YouTube channel. On Our Minds is a podcast about the teenage experience, made by teens for teens.
0: There's a lot on our minds, and talking about it helps.
1: On Our Minds Season 4 is produced by PBS NewsHour Student Reporting Labs, in collaboration with KUOW's Radioactive Youth Media. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask Lisa, The Psychology of Parenting. We're talking about how to deal with kids who complain all the time. Lisa, you were talking a little bit sort of about that sense of hopelessness. How do you work through a kid's sense of hopelessness? What works? What do you need to keep in mind?
0: Yeah, so that dynamic where you're offering great ideas and the kid is just, you know, giving you the, you know, just pushing them all away. But I think in those moments, kids are feeling helpless. You know, they're feeling like there's nothing that can be done. And it can be really useful to say, hey, I hear that you feel helpless about your seating arrangement or that you're going to have any fun this weekend and it can actually work really well just to empathize with their helplessness, to say like, that's got to be really lousy to feel helpless about how seating is happening in class. I am amazed by how often that actually gives kids some relief. Like, okay, that was the feeling- Just by saying? Are, yeah. Just by
1: acknowledging yeah, their helplessness. Yeah, just like, by simply acknowledging makes a difference.
0: Yeah. And just being empathic. Like that would really stink to feel helpless about how the seating's going to go all year. Like, I'm sorry. I hate that you have that feeling. For a lot of kids, they're like, okay, you got it. You heard what I was trying to say. And they'll let it go at that point. So I guess my experience as a parent is like, you know, you need to pull this out when you feel like you're in a conversational death spiral with a kid where you're like, okay, but what about this? And they're like, no, that's the dumbest idea I've heard. What about this? That's the dumbest idea. Actually, second to the first dumbest idea you've ever given. (laughs) If you find yourself in a conversational death spiral with a kid, try saying, my hunch is you feel helpless. And I hate that you feel that way.
1: Wow. I never thought to use that. It works. It can be pretty effective. It works. It is, um, so what do you do? if there's, Is there anything that we can do to get kids to take advice we know is going to work, but they're stubborn and they don't want to take it? So in order to get a kid to take advice, you have
0: to do a lot first. So the first thing you have to do is you have to really, really listen, like let them say it all. Then you have to ask permission. You know, Do you want my help or do you just need to vent? And if they say, I do want your help, Then I think a reasonable thing to say is, what have you thought of? What have you already tried? Because the other thing is, our kids are really smart. They've already tried things. And so it doesn't help the conversation if you're like, we'll do this. And like, oh, I did that. Yeah. And then say, okay, I have a few ideas. I usually am pretty humble in how I offer them. I'll say, I have a few ideas. I don't really understand the dynamics, but like, I'm happy to put them on the table and we can see if they may have any, you know, inspiration even for what might work. So put your ideas forward in a very know kind of um, tentative way don't assume that you get what's really happening but this is a moment where we as parents get to be like coaches right we're not going to do it Mm. for them we're not going to call the teacher and say you need to rearrange the classroom seating but where we do want to start to help them learn how to advocate for themselves while being very very aware that there are a lot of dynamics at play in a classroom that our kid may be aware of that we cannot know
1: Mm. and do you find often, you know, you, I think it's just fu- so frustrating as a parent when you want them to take the advice and then they won't. Mm-hmm. It's so frustrating dealing with that because they keep complaining about it. They keep dealing with it. But it's like you, you feel like you're running around in circles, I guess. You do. But, you know, you know, we we
0: had a recent podcast about the social coaching that parents do. And and we brought up that metaphor of, you know, every conversation Think of it as like you're moving the football down the field a little bit, mm. right? You're not going to get mm. a touchdown every time, but that doesn't mean the ball hasn't moved. Rena, you know, I've had people reach out to me saying like that was a really helpful metaphor. And so I just think we want to kind of always bear it in mind that you don't get a score on every play. We are often talking about stuff with kids over and over again before they finally move on it. And our job is not to feel despairing when they don't do what we suggest the first time we suggested or the fifth time we suggested, but to sort of stay in that conversation and trust that our kid may need time to work their way up towards it. When should you worry, Lisa, about how much your kid is complaining? This is a really important question, right? I mean, I, I again, I will stand by it. Most kids complain most days and, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, it may be a very well-working system for them being the wonderful humans they generally are at school. But I think there are some things we want to watch out for. So the first question I would ask is, after a vigorous round of complaining, does your kid feel better, even though you may feel quite a bit worse? And the answer is, if the answer is yes, it's working, right? They have mm. unloaded everything that was weighing them That's down for the day, and they're good to go, and they got to go back in tomorrow with more garbage collecting to be sure happening. They better go in with empty pockets. What I would watch out for is the kid complains, complains, complains. You listen, listen, validate. Don't try to help too much. Let them just fend, and it doesn't seem to lighten their load, right? That hmm. would be for me very concerning, where they are just not helped by the disposal process. Like that, just they still feel really lousy afterwards. Then I would be more concerned. That would be the grounds for concern, and so and I would watch. What do watch you do at that. that point? So what I would do probably is. You know, I'm thinking it depends on the age a little bit, but with a younger kid, like a fifth grader, if they are really bringing home a lot of displeasure and a lot of unhappiness and just grousing about it, isn't seeming to fix it, I might consider a call to the teacher, but I would do it in a particular way. I might consider calling and saying, hey, you know, I so appreciate what you guys are doing. Here's what we're running into at home. Here's what he's describing to me. Can you give me some insight on this? So don't mm-hmm. assume it's 100% the reality. Don't assume that it means that the grown ups at school are messing things up. But do appreciate that teachers, schools have huge amounts of information. And if you ask in a way that is collaborative and curious they are often fantastic partners in trying to get to the bottom of what's going on.
1: That's great advice. That's really good to keep in mind because sometimes you forget about the resources at school. So how do you, especially if you feel your child might be more predisposed to being negative, should you encourage them to be more positive? Like, If you want the outcome for them to like stop complaining as their first default, is it possible to change it and to get them to be more positive? What works for that? I think you can get there. but I think what we would assume would work usually backfires.
0: So right I think mm. that usually when kids are like, and then this dumb thing happened and then that dumb thing happened, we're like, but I'm sure something good happened today or like <laughs> I'm sure it's not that bad or like you know, you make your own yeah. luck, right? like that kind yes. of um sunny <laughs> to the point of saccharine uh, positivity. I will tell you certainly by adolescence any kids going to be like, "Oh, I am digging in now." Like I am not. <laughs> I am not going to join you on that. I'm actually going to give you 14 more examples of how dumb my day was, right? I think that that's cuz it feels invalidating. right? Kids will feel yeah, like, you're it's not true. really hearing me, so I'm going to get louder on what I was saying. Mm. Okay, so here's the ninja move that can sometimes help. And I I'll tell you where this has come up in my clinical work. Um, I was caring for a family where they needed to change schools for their kid. And the family made a decision, I thought it was a very smart decision about the school they wanted their daughter to go to. And she was I think 7th grade. And the daughter was not entirely on board with this. She really didn't want to leave her old school, but I think it was a right a right thing to do. And so to try to convince her or get her more excited about the new school, they were like, "But it's fantastic. It's got all these wonderful features." You know, they were always like giving her like the list of 40 mm-hmm. pros for the new school. <laughs> Which only because she was a teenager worth her salt inspired her to point out all the shortcomings of the new school, like just to adopt the position of like, you don't get it, you don't get it, I'm going to have to prove it to you 14 more times. Mm. So my advice to them, and then we'll figure out how this extrapolates to family life. I said to them, lowball it, right? Say to her, look, we get it. Like there's no perfect school and there's a lot of shortcomings with the school that we're going to have you go to. We're sure it's not perfect. It may be far from perfect, but we know, we really believe that it's a better choice than where you're at. And here's our hope, is that over time, you might come to feel that there's some things about this school that are okay, right? So it's a Mm -hmm. really, really go low. And the reasoning here is you're not trying to push her to have a feeling. You're just leaving the door open that she might get there. And I think that that for kids is... um, Going to be vastly more effective than
1: trying to convince them of how they're supposed to feel.
0: So I think we could do that in the day to day.
1: Got to tell you, this episode makes me realize how excited I am that next week your brand new book on the emotional lives of teenagers is coming out because it just realized i want a deeper dive like i just this isn't enough now i just you realize what's at stake and, and i want to know what works and doesn't really work well it's funny actually i have a whole section in that book called how to give advice to a
0: teenager and i have i love my editor it's been my editor for the same same editor for untangled and under pressure and she like wrote in the margin she was like we could also call this how to hand feed a bear right which is like the name of something else like something else is called that and she was like She was sort of making a joke, but she was like, I wonder if we could do something like that. And we ended up leaving it as just like how to give advice to a teenager. But she and I were having fun on the page just about like, it's hard to give them advice. And I think the takeaway for this one is that's often not what they're looking for when they bring us complaints. You know, I think that that's the key we want to really underscore is that. Most of the time when kids are bringing us complaints, it's not because they're like, I'm bringing this to you so you can fix it. It's like, I'm bringing this to you just so I can register my complaint with the complaint office. Like, I just want to leave it here. Yeah. And we yeah. want to let them do it. And and I'm thinking about, Rena. like in the day-to-day, you know, if we want kids to be more positive, I do think that we could say things like, you know what? It sounds like it was really lousy. I'm hoping tomorrow some stuff happens that's, you know, working. Or you could even say like, I get it, that today really was kind of not a great one tell me one good thing that happened. Like, was there anything fun mm. that happened? Like, you could do it in that way. Like, give me one fun thing that happened or one thing that you're looking forward to That's tomorrow. That's great. If you've let kids say their piece about all of the injustices of the daily school experience, they may be more open to joining you in like, what was fun or something you enjoyed or something you look
1: forward to. Um, that can work as a strategy. That's awesome. So what do you have for us, Lisa, for parenting to go?
0: Honestly, on this one, Rena, I think we want to imagine how we would want somebody to respond to us when we've got a complaint right? We don't want advice either. That when we come home and we're like, oh my gosh, you have to hear what happened at the office. Like the last thing we usually want is for our friend or spouse to be like, oh, well, you know what you should have done? Right? I mean, we would be like, what are you saying? Totally. That's exactly how our kids feel, right? So if you're having any trouble just letting them bring it, letting them dump it, if the garbage metaphor doesn't work for you, just picture what is it you ideally would want somebody to say to you in that moment and do that for your kid.
1: Sometimes you forget they're also human beings that have similar motivations and interests as you do have.
0: Absolutely. And, and I'll just say this. Are in a position all day where they have vastly fewer choices than we do as adults, right? School, mm. even the mm. best schools, right? You're dealing with a whole bunch of people you not, did not
1: choose all day, every day, repeatedly. Our kids are great. So Lisa, I am so excited next week to talk about your book, which will officially launch on Tuesday. If you haven't pre-ordered The Emotional Lives of Teenagers, you should. Tell us a little bit more about what we're going to discuss next week.
0: Well, we're going to talk about key points in the book and what readers will find there. But you know, Rena, one of the things that happens with a book is you write it, you hand in the manuscript, and then of course your mind keeps going. So there's also things I've thought about more or that have become more salient even in the news since i wrote the book things that are in the book but that now feel even more underscored by new studies coming out new research that we've got so we'll talk about the book itself but also thoughts beyond it
1: i can't wait you have put so much research into this book your clinical experience your experience as a psychologist over the years i just think it's so valuable so i can't wait for everyone to read this incredible incredible I think it's like a book of research, but you make it so conversational, <laughs> as you always do.
0: Thank you, Rena. I'm excited about it, too. We'll see you next week.
1: See you next week. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop. And send us your questions to ask Lisa at drlisademore.com. And now a word from our lawyers.